You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. Wednesday, 7 December, RMI becomes Outsurance today, and the code will be OUT on the JSC. I'm Simon Brown, coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb studios in Houghton, Johannesburg. On the show today, chatting with uh, Derek Jansen from Rendsburg. I want to touch on uh, local GDP. It came in better than expected yesterday, but those signal results, they're out earlier in the week, but uh, sort of results, I think, modest to solid, but dividend, uh, really, really good. Uh, Jonathan Brummer from uh, Riskira, using correct benchmarks for your investments, and then Andriette Theron from PPS Investments, lessons from 2022. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines for MoneyWeb. Renogen starts delivering SA's first locally produced commercial LNG. A good deal for Renogen. Truthfully, good big deal for South Africa as well. Bloomberg, huge copper deficit is looming, says Glencore. CEO says company will lift its own output while then the world is screaming for the metal. Copper is a big story. We chatted about it uh, earlier in the year. There is that ETN on the JSC, SBCOP. Morning markets, uh, US is red, S&P off 1.4%, NASDAQ down 2%. Asia is red, Sydney down almost two-thirds of a percent, and Tokyo off half a percent. Commodities, red overnight. Gold, $1,783 an ounce. Brent, $79.18, starting with a 7. We haven't had that in an age. Platinum, $9.93. Palladium, $1,857. The Rand is $17.36 against the dollar. Bitcoin, unchanged, uh, $17,050. Cent trading up half a percent in the Hong Kong lunch break and top 40 looking for a red open 60 points to the downside 0.1 of a percent. Money web now on the money also available on podcast. Chatting now with uh, Derek Jenser from Rendsburg. Uh, you find him, of course, at Anchor Capital. Derek, appreciate the, the, the early morning. Before we touch on Signia, GDP numbers yesterday, both the quarter-on-quarter quarter and the, the year-on-year, uh, surprising to the upside. I, I, lots of moving parts, but, I mean, some good news that I, I think we'll all just take with both hands. Uh, absolutely, Simon. Uh, I think that was actually quite a decent data print. So, obviously, one can see that, uh, you know, post-COVID, there's certainly some heightened uh, activity levels, let's call mm-hmm. it that, um, where we are starting to see some decent GDP figures come through. It is a short-term data point. So, you know, one would need to see uh, sort of over the next three to six months if there is continued follow-through. Uh, my concern is obviously we're still dealing with quite heightened levels of load shedding, which will certainly mm-hmm. hamper the economy. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, low base effect coming in strong, I think it reads well. So, you know, all well, we'll take it just before the Christmas season. We will. We absolutely will. And you mentioned load shedding. We're going to stage four in a couple of hours. That's a mess, but we'll take the GDP. The the Signia results out earlier in the week. I mean, you know, the the top line numbers, we saw revenue up 9.7%, headline Mm. earnings per share up some 12%, uh, massive dividend, 2 rand 10. I mean, they are a capital light business, um, much like your coronations and the like of the world. uh, And and, and they're going to throw off dividends. The market liked it. Your take on, on, on the numbers in the stock? Yeah, I certainly think it was a commendable result. Uh, you know, obviously we need to look at these asset managers and put into context that it's been a very tough 2022 mm, across all mm. asset classes and across markets. So, you know, AUM down slightly, just under 4%. 
but certainly, um, you know, a decent revenue beat, head, as you said, headline earnings per share coming in, at, uh, you know, up 12%. So, you know, the, the read through for me is this is an exceptionally well-run business. Assets under management coming down, but obviously, um, you know, delivering a decent uh, positive earnings result on the back of a very tough market. So, you know, looking forward, if we do see some better markets, I think that the business is actually quite well positioned. And uh, it looks like that they've got the sort of cost side of things very much under control and, and a very strong sort of handle on that. So a commendable result. And as you said, um, quite a decent yield. So this is one to keep an eye on if we do start to see better markets and better asset class performance through the course of next year, then I think there could be somewhat of a leveraged effect in the in, in a business like Signia. Yeah, that's just it because if markets just go up next year, you know, simply say, I don't know, we go 10% to the markets. I mean, that adds 10% to their revenue, zero to their cost line and, and, and therefore a profits boom. That, that's the beauty of, the, of these type of businesses. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll leave it there. That's Derek Janser from Rendsburg Anchor Capital. Uh, talking those signal numbers, that yield is around 10%. That price earnings ratio, it's around 10x. That is a attractively priced share. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on The Money. I'm chatting with Andriette Thron. Uh, she's head of research at PPS Investments. Andriette, appreciate the time today. We came into the year 2022 full of optimism. Uh, we thought markets were going to be great. We thought supply chains were going to improve. But it's actually been a bit of a horror year, especially for, for, for developed markets, less so on the home front. But for developed markets, it's, it's been a bit of a horror. Yes. Now, I mean, I think it's uh, fair to say that 2022 was a challenging year. And um, I think, I mean, the, the key thing for investors to um, just take from this year is that diversification in your portfolio is key because you don't actually know um, how the year is going to play out. So I think for us, I mean, that is I mean, definitely one of the key lessons for this year as well. And, and one of those diversifications was cash, which in you know, any other year where markets are doing great, cash is, is absolutely boring, but it has a place. And, and the yield might not be great, but it really did prove itself in, in 2022. And, 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 and that, I think, is a key lesson, because I think many of us have kind of maybe moved on from cash and its importance. Yes, I mean, as you said, the real yields on cash locally and globally were mm. not great, right? But I mean, for this year specifically, I mean, it's a, something happened at, that we haven't seen for over 20 years where um, we had a, a positive correlation between um, equities and bonds. So, I mean, when you needed some diversification during the market sell-off, I mean, bo- bo- both the asset classes uh, fell and couldn't actually provide you that diversification or protection. So, I mean, cash was king in that scenario. So, I mean, I think that this year, again, it just shows you the important role that cash can play in a diversified portfolio. I hadn't realized that positive correlation was was such a rare event between bonds and equity. I, mean, I, I get, you know, the logic of a 60-40 portfolio, whatever the case may be. But, but you know, once in two decades shows just how wild it was and that we don't know how long it's going to remain in force but it, it, it will in theory it will be passing and, and the correlation will go back to normal 
Yes, I mean, uh, I mean, what one would expect that. So I think that's, I mean, the, the, the other benefit that cash can have is obviously it provides with optionality. Mm. So, I mean, we recently reduced, even though we do continue to see South African equities being attractively um, priced, we, we reduce our high conviction view in SA equities to neutral just to have some more cash in the portfolio to provide that additional layer of protection. And just, I mean, provides you with, with optionality. So when you see when you see another um, sell of this, you can actually reallocate the the capital when when um, asset classes are even more favourable. I see your point on that. I mean, you're not going bearish on South Africa. It's just a case of taking it to neutral, which means selling down some positions, maybe some particular counters and the like. And as you say, giving that cash and, and giving that optionality. I know my portfolio. I always like cash for exactly that reason. Sometimes stuff just gets cheap, and you need to have the money. Yes, no, that's correct. I mean, I think uh, now SA equities, we, I mean, we, we came into the year with quite a high conviction on, on SA asset classes. We had an overweight in SA bonds and SA equity, and we only recently now moved to, to um, a neutral in mm-hmm. SA equity from the, the overweight position. I mean, and that's mainly on the back of the, the strong rally we, see, we saw recently. In SA bonds, we are still overweight. I mean, I mean to be to be fair, I mean we were max overweight at the start of the year, but I mean SA bonds still offer you a double digit yield, well in excess of inflation. So I mean we we do believe that South African assets continue to offer South African investors a good entry point um, at, at at the the current levels. Uh, offshore assets, because of course there's been a massive sell-off there, and you know, some of the valuations looking attractive. Some of them, particularly some of the growth stocks, perhaps looking less so. Your your your, your weightings offshore. So global equities, um, we're still underweight at the moment. I think mm-hmm. the one thing to note just is that we did change our strategic asset allocations um, given the change in Regulation 28. So yeah. we've, um, we, we, we basically now at neutral, we are um, equally split between SA and global equities. So we reduce our SA buyers um, quite a lot by, by increasing our global equity exposure even at neutral. But relative to our SAA, we are underweight, yes. You mentioned the strategic asset allocation and, and certainly, as you mentioned, Reg 28 this year, I mean, again, that's a big event. That process of tweaking the strategic asset allocation, I, mean, I, I imagine that's you know, something which is probably infrequent and lots of lengthy debate between you and your colleagues. Yes, I mean, we do review our SAA once a year. Okay. Um, but I mean, the intention is not to, to, to make massive changes unless there's a, a, a big market event or a, a, a regulation change. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we do think that, I mean, if you just think of South Africa equity markets, right, we're less than 1% of the global equity universe. Yeah. So, I mean, we, there's lots more opportunities globally. So, I mean, the, when we invest offshore, we want to reduce SA-specific risk, and that's now um, economic risk as well, as well as just get access to, to a broader universe and get access to companies and, and industries not even available in South Africa. So, I mean, they, we, we definitely feel that uh, a more neutral allocation to global and, uh, and local equities are, are more prudent. Yeah, I get you. And, and it's more tweaks mm-hmm. than anything else, except when there's massive legislative changes, as we saw this year. And we had Theron, Head of Research, PPS Investments. Appreciate the insights. And that's our question today on our LinkedIn and Twitter poll. Your biggest lesson from the year? Um, maybe it was to always have a bit of cash. Maybe it was that bear markets are nasty or maybe it's all about the long term. We actually plan just to forget about 2022. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and Twitter. If seagulls were harder dars who could afford to retire to the coast, what kind of bird would you be? Would you soar over the savannah? 
or chase summer around the globe. You see, even when you stop working, your money won't. When you invest in Stanlib's fixed income funds, you can retire earning a regular income off your investments. Invest for more certainty at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. Turning now with uh, Jonathan Brummer. He's an investment consultant at Riscura. Jonathan, appreciate the early morning benchmarks. A, a in, in many senses, a, a really important part of the entire investment process and, and helps us understand how we're doing. Less about the short term, more about the medium to long term. The important point of the benchmark, though, is it really needs to to fit the individual, to fit the, the, the risk requirements and the like is, is surely the, the key point to them. Yes, morning, Simon. That's indeed true. You know, I mean, like many things in life, investing is kind of a relative endeavor. So mm. the thing that you are measuring against, uh, you need to choose carefully. And that's got to match um, basically the outcome that you're trying to achieve is a good starting point for that. I like that. Okay, so, so it's focus on what you're trying to achieve and then use the benchmark. And, and, and one of the, the popular ones is an inflation or perhaps a, a, an inflation plus sort of benchmark, I see a lot of you know, CPI plus three plus four, which I suppose fits into my outcome. But you'd say in the note that you put out that perhaps that's not the best idea. Yes, I think because it's an important thing to discuss because it is such, um, I guess, an accessible benchmark. It's something yeah. that people understand. So if we start, you know, with inflation, we know erodes the buying power of mm. your money. You need to um, increase your investments by more than inflation, which means you're growing your wealth. So up to this point, it all makes sense. But I would argue that inflation and beating inflation is more an investment objective, but isn't that useful as a benchmark, especially over shorter periods? Yeah. And if I, if I could use kind of a metaphor to explain that, if I'm planning a trip, I'm in Joburg, I want to drive down to Cape Town, Let's say it's 1,400 kilometers. I'm going to do an average of 100 kilometers an hour. So it's going to take me 14 hours. I might choose my benchmark as that 100 kilometers an hour. The reality is during the trip, I'm going to have zones where I'm doing 60, zones where I'm doing 120. I'm going to stop you know, mm-hmm. to refill with fuel and, and buy a pie and whatever it is along the way. And so that average 100 kilometers an hour isn't a useful benchmark. And I think CPI is similar in the sense that CPI moves quite slowly. It changes, you know, let's say between 3 and 6%. Mm-hmm. Um, but investment markets, your return can be much more volatile, can be up by 20, down by 20. And so when you're comparing to that CPI plus, especially over shorter periods, and short could be even five years, yeah, uh, it's not going to be that useful. You're not going to know whether you're on track or not. So, so those are one of the, I guess, the downsides, the failings of CPI plus as a benchmark. Although an investment outcome, it's useful over long periods, but benchmark, not that useful over now, short I like period. that, and I like the analogy. It, it, it makes sense. And I've often looked at it, and I'm thinking, you know, in 2022, your offshore portfolio is 100 miles away from CPR, but you shouldn't be panicking because this is what markets do sometimes. So then brings to the question, I mean, what sort of types of, in, of, of benchmarks are used in industry that are, that are worth uh, uh, considering for, 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 for listeners? Well, I think there, there are two others that I'd mentioned. The one mm. you'll find is what's called a peer relative benchmark. Mm-hmm. And that's often, and I don't think this is a great benchmark because it's kind of <laughs> keeping up with the Joneses. It's yeah. saying, I want to do at least as well as someone out there. And that's the problem. Defining who that someone is is very hard. 
And really, what does it matter? Because you need to be focused on your own goals, not someone else's. So again, it's, it is a benchmark that's out there. I'd say just be careful. Where I think a useful benchmark, how you construct a useful benchmark, uh, is really to look at the underlying building blocks. And those are the asset classes that, that you invest in. So if we go back to, I want to achieve a CPI plus something, let's mm -hmm. say CPI plus five target. Mm -hmm. You now need to work it back and say, to do that, I need a particular asset allocation. So quite simply, if you invest all in cash, it's highly unlikely you will achieve that, which means you're going to be adding some risk assets, equities as an example. And once you know the mix of those asset classes you have, we can use a proxy for that asset class. There are indices that are created to represent that asset class. Mm -hmm. And you use that as your benchmark. And that's similar to saying, if we go back to our analogy, of saying, well, for the first uh, five kilometers of my journey, I'll be in a 60 zone. So I'm going to use 60 kilometers an hour as my benchmark during that period. Then when I get on the highway, I want to stick to 120, etc. So it's a, it's a better um, a relative, I guess, position to measure against. And the good thing, you know, is if um, I achieve reasonable returns relative to those over, over the short term, I will get to my CPI plus five over the long term. So a, a good benchmark, I think, starts with what is your, your outcome, then pick the asset classes that are and the mix that will get you there, and then and use those asset classes as the benchmarks. And that's going to work actually over very short periods, you know, one month, one mm. year. Uh, any work. And what I like about that is it almost constrains you in a sense in, in terms of, of, of going too far out on the limb in terms of risk. When you know what your outcome is and you know what you're trying to achieve over your, your investment lifetime, now suddenly you realize, okay, well, this is what I'm going to need. Uh, let me build my benchmark around it. I don't need to go and buy you know, the crazy risk assets on the, on the far left field. Yes, exactly. Again, if we go to our metaphor, uh, you, you'll know that when you're on the on the highway, 120 is right. But even if you're behind your your average benchmark, you know you're going to catch up. Yeah. But you're also not trying to go 140, as you say. You're not trying to increase risk to catch up because you know over time you will you mm. will you will um, catch up. I think it also helps with expectation yeah. setting. So what as an investor, if if, if my investment is down five percent over any one year period, you know, does that mean I should panic? Does it mean I've done something wrong or I should change something? If I'm measuring it relative to a CPI plus, which is clearly going to be a positive number, you know, I, I might make a wrong decision. But if I can measure it relative to a mix of asset classes and I understand that equities were down in this particular period, I think it gives, although it's not a great a feeling, but it gives a sense of comfort <laughs> that my plan is still on track. This is normal behavior. But I like that expectation setting. I'd never thought of that. That's what your benchmark does, perhaps more than anything. Of course, it's tied to your outcome, but I like that. We'll leave it there. Uh, that was uh, uh, Jonathan Brimmer. He's investment consultant at Risk Cura. Jonathan, appreciate the early morning. That's it for today. We were talking Theresa results uh, with uh, Fevers Perulis yesterday. Uh, good numbers in the PGM, really strong in Chrome Zimbabwe uh, operations due mid-2024. And in time, that's going to double their PGM output from around 180,000 to around 360,000 ounces a year. The question was, is this a PGM stock worth holding? Almost half of you said yes, a great business. A third said you prefer other PGM miners, but the rest of you were saying, actually, for you, no miners at all. Have your vote, have your say, Twitter and LinkedIn. This show is brought to you by Stanlib. 
Visit stanlip.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlip Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie Nubochle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their early morning. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.